I have to admit that if you're a plant living in our household, you're most likely going to die. I find this out oftentimes. Uh, we actually had an aloe plant uh, that was in our house that was given to us, and we took the aloe plant and we put it right next to the kitchen sink. I mean, how much closer could you be to a water source to be watered uh, than that? Right next to the kitchen sink, by the light of the windowsill. And last week, I got to the aloe plant, which is a desert plant, a succulent, and it was dead. And I thought about this idea that, one, we just didn't take care of a plant. This is notorious. Our house is notorious for killing plants. And we thought, you know, if we just put it as close to the sink as possible, we'll remember to water it. And as close as it was, it still didn't get watered. And maybe that was part of our thinking as well. But I thought about this idea that a plant could be that close to the source of replenishment, of refreshment, of health and living and vitality, and never receive it, right? And I thought about that too, about our souls. Uh, Thinking about our souls, this series is about replenishing our souls. And I think about that, you know, we take care of our bodies, we exercise, we eat right, we take care of our minds, we educate ourselves, we read, we learn, we have experiential learning. And how often, though, do we spend the same amount of time and investment caring for our souls? Our souls that desperately need a source of refreshment, of replenishment. And here's the other thing I learned uh, just recently. I was at a conference seminar uh, for national leadership, and one of the questions, uh, one of the things that came out of that was this realization that we can't replenish our own souls. We are not the source of water. God is our source of replenishment. God is the source of the one who can fill us and revive us and give us life. And that's true throughout the scriptures. And then even Jesus said that, you know, that Jesus would give us life and life abundant. So today we're going to, in this series and in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at this idea of replenishment and what does it look like to have a healthy soul and a replenished soul and care for our souls uh, as in this idea that we could be very close to the source and yet dried up and withered and empty. And so that's exactly the possibility. And the reason that is is because we uh, give into some temptations, we give into some thinking in our own lives. Henry Nouwen, in his book, In the Name of Jesus, says that one of the things that we do is we have this experience of feeling irrelevant. We feel irrelevant in the world, and so we do everything to not feel irrelevant. And so we do things that may actually not help the health of our souls. Now, part of that, part of what Henry Nouwen says in his book is that one of the things we begin to do because we feel irrelevant is we begin to replace love, which is what our souls need, with power. And so we seek out power, we search for power, we try and gain power, recognition, whatever that looks like, to thinking that somehow that will make us whole again, that that will heal us, that that will make us better, when in reality it's not power but love that will heal us. And so thinking about this feeling of irrelevancy and how we give in to this temptation to replace love with power, uh, Lance Witt, in another book called Replenish, just happens to be a coincidence, the same name of our series, but in his book he talks about four threats to the soul, four threats, four things that, that affect and threaten the life and the health of our soul. The first threat that Lance talks about in his book, Replenish, is ambition. That ambition and really selfish ambition is really our need to 
compensate for the feelings of irrelevancy, right? And so we get ambitious. We try and make a name for ourselves. We try and get recognition. And so we give into this temptation thinking that somehow that's going to help our souls when it really doesn't do that. And what we're actually doing is we're, re- we're introducing brokenness to our souls. And uh, we're introducing not healing to our souls, but this possibility of being cracked and getting holes in our souls that just leak out. So it doesn't matter how much replenishment we get, we can even leak out the health that our souls get from God and from God's presence. So ambition is part of that, is that idea that we need to stand out in a crowd. We need to be recognized. We need to be important. And this can drive us to gain recognition. But here's the question, maybe to help examine and reflect upon our own health of our own souls is this. Would you be satisfied, would you or I be satisfied with achieving something for the common good with anonymity? Could we do it without being recognized? Could we do it without getting credit? Could we do it without feeling, uh, getting one of the, getting affirmation, right? Because selfish ambition and pride have many disguises, and even we disguise it from ourselves at times. Now, the other threat that uh, is talked about, the other threat is image management. The second threat is image management. So we do things then because of this, needing recognition, importance, not wanting to feel irrelevancy, wanting to seek power over love. We begin to manage our image, right? We begin to do things to project an image of importance, uh, and maybe we buy brands that give us status or importance, or maybe what we do is we try and look busy or get busy because we bought in this misconception in our world that busyness equals importance, that if I'm busy, then I'm important, and people will see how important I am by how busy I am, and we tend to do that, and so we can feel important from our just busyness and our full calendars and things, and that's part of our image management. Number three, threat number three is approval addiction. We can actually turn to others for approval and avoid criticism or, or not want to have critics. And the world, again, well, what does the world do? When we're busy, what do we get? We get affirmed for our busyness. Our, our bosses affirm our busyness. The world will come along and pat us on the back for how busy we are because we, we buy into this same misconception, right? So we get affirmed for our busyness as well. And this is part of what's happening to us. And I had a pastor, a retired pastor. She said something to me several years ago. She said, Matt, you really don't let the grass grow under your feet very much, do you? And I and I said, yeah, yeah, that's pretty typical of me. And, and I, at the time, I, I took it as a compliment. You know, I took it as, hey, look how busy I am, right? You know, and because I was equating busyness with importance. And uh, I look back on that now and I, from her, and I think maybe that wasn't a compliment. Maybe that was a warning. Uh, like, slow down, Matt. You know, take care of your soul. Look out for the health of your soul. And, uh, you know, I appreciate her speaking in to my life that way. But I think about sometimes, you know, but that's because we perceive busyness importance and we get approved and we get approved for being busy and being important or what we think is important. Now, these three threats, the first three threats lead to threat number four, and that's isolation. When we're isolated and we isolate ourselves off from community and from God, we, that's a great threat to the health of our souls. No one can really speak into us, into our lives as a true friend. 
No one can do that because we're not willing to be vulnerable. We're not willing to be truthful and live honestly, as we say here at First Church, about ourselves. And the other thing is, is that we're so busy managing our image and, and so forth that we isolate ourselves from commu- true community. And that's part of that isolation. So here's a question, a famous question that we ask, or a well-known question, I won't say famous, but well-known question we ask here in the Wesleyan tradition is, how goes it with your soul? If you were to be asked that question by someone today, would you answer it honestly? Would you be vulnerable enough to say, my soul's not great today, or my soul is great, right? You know, we, we, it may be, it doesn't have to be bad, but I'm, what we're saying is that would we be honest enough with that question? And really, part of Wesleyan thinking and Wesleyan uh, practice is this idea of being able to ask each other the question and talk about that question honestly. So, but if we can't talk honestly about that's because we're in isolation. And these things are what create the cracks in our soul and create holes in the cisterns of our souls so that it can't really hold water anymore. And so even if God does replenish us, it just all leaks out, right? Because we've We've given in to these temptations of seeking power over love and feeling irrelevant. And so all this focus on exterior optics and trying to focus on the exterior optics actually prevents us from looking at the health of our soul. And maybe the reason we don't look at the health of our souls is because we're really afraid of what we might find there. And so we ignore it. You know, we kind of don't address it. We care for our bodies. We care for our minds but we neglect our souls because we're afraid we might find that they're empty and dry, right? Like that plant next to my kitchen sink, right? Ruth Barton in her book, Sacred Rhythms, says this, Our sense of worth is so fragile and our perfection so pronounced that we are not sure we could bear facing the truth of our own darkness without being completely unraveled. And I think that's what we're afraid of. We're afraid of silence. We're afraid of solitude. We're afraid of being totally alone with our own thoughts because we're afraid that we'll be completely unraveled. That if we really look in the abyss, into the darkness of our souls, that we may not find anyone there or anything there. And that scares us. What if you could, what if you and I could look into that abyss, look into our souls, and can be completely fully known and completely and fully loved. Because that's exactly how God would see us. That's exactly how God looks at our soul, is that God would look at us and say to us, you are completely known. You don't have to hide anything. You don't have to, to uh, close, you know, avoid anything with me. And you will be completely unconditionally loved because in Christ we are. What would it look like to find soul, find rest and health in the presence of God? In a passage, uh, I'm gonna, we're going to look at a passage today out of uh, Matthew. And Jesus has just spent time talking to his disciples and saying to his disciples, I'm going to send you out in the world. And he says, sheep among wolves. And then he says, you're going to face persecution, hardship. All these external circumstances are going to push in on you. And he says in this next passage, which I'm about to read, is uh, take care of your soul. <laughs> like he's saying, Watch out for the health of your soul. Here's what he says in chapter 10, verses 26 to 31. He says, Therefore, don't be afraid of those people because nothing is hidden that won't be revealed and nothing secret that won't be brought out into the open. What I say to you in the darkness, tell in the light. 
and what you hear whispered announced from the rooftops. Don't be afraid of those who kill the body but can't kill the soul. Instead, be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Aren't two sparrows sold for a small coin? But not one of them will fall to the ground without your father knowing about it already. Even the hairs of your head are all counted. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. You are worth more than many sparrows. And what it's saying is that your soul, you, actually mind, body, spirit, you as a whole person are worth more than many sparrows. You have worth, right? And so that is a counter to this idea of feeling irrelevancy. So if we feel irrelevancy to the world around us, we're not irrelevant to God. God says you are worthy. You are worth something. You have value and worth regardless of what the world thinks about it, right? And so in this passage, we see some signs of health, some signs of what it looks like to have a healthy soul. One, is, uh, one of the signs is truth is revealed. You know, that's part of what Jesus is saying, is that the, there's nothing hidden anymore. It's going to be revealed. And with God, we can be fully known. The truth about ourselves can be fully known, and we'll still be fully loved by God. God knows everything about us, even the hairs on our head, the way we think, everything about the thoughts of our hearts, our flaws, our imperfections, the good things about us, all that stuff, right? All the stuff we would never show anybody else, God sees. And God fully loves us unconditionally. That's truth. And we're able, because of that, we're able to engage in that truth and be vulnerable, at least with God, if not with some other close friends. Number two is, notice the soul is secure. It it doesn't sound that way, but really this is about securing your soul, trusting your soul to God, right? And that's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. He's like, you're going to go in the world and they're going to try and tear you down. But you Keep your soul secure in God. Your soul is secure in Christ, in Jesus Christ. And we have that security, that benefit of being in Christ. And then number three, notice that God's care and concern are realized. That's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. He said, look, God cares for your soul. You have worth in God's eyes. And so God is going to take care of your soul, right? And God is the caretaker of our souls and we rest in that. We rest in that security. We rest in that concern of God for us. And so it doesn't matter what the external circumstances or the external optics are. What matters is our soul security in God and resting in God. You know, there's a a story told of a professional musician and uh, she was being interviewed by a reporter And she was asked the question, you know, what is it like to give a great performance one evening and get a standing ovation at the end of the concert, and then to wake up the next morning and read about the, from the critics how bad the performance was. So you get the standing ovation one night, the next morning you get the criticism for whatever that, even though you got that standing ovation. So what is it like to to live in that world where it's so finicky, it seems, And she said, well, you know, it used to bother me at first. And as I was uh, going through the profession, it bothered me. But I've learned to do something different. I've learned not to give too much credit to the ovation and too much credit to the critics. What she learned, she said, was she learned to value the approval of the conductor. Like, she said, the conductor knows me better than the, the the, the public or the critics. The conductor knows my abilities, what I'm good at, what I'm bad at. The conductor knows me well. And if the, I look to the approval of my conductor, 
And what if the conductor thinks we did a good job, then we did a good job. If the conductor doesn't think we did a good job, then we didn't do a good job. And so she said, I've learned to listen to the voice of my conductor. I thought, wow, isn't that true? We have to learn not to listen to the, to the praise or the critics in our lives, but learn to listen to our conductor, God, to be fully known and fully loved, right? To be known and know our, our strengths and our weaknesses and still be loved and still be cared for and want the best for us. And so I think that is a great way to look at that. And that actually helps keep our souls healthy, right? Now, if we go back to our passage today in chapter 10, we're gonna, I'm actually going to back up in the passage a little bit further because Jesus said something, and this is the beginning of that section uh, when we kind of read the end of that uh, about the care for our souls. But he started out with this sentence in verse 16. He said, look, I'm sending you as sheep among wolves. Therefore, be wise as snakes and innocent as doves. So again, Jesus is saying, I'm going to send you out in the world. It's, you're like sheep among wolves. It's going to be hard, right? But he says there's this two concepts here, wise as snakes and innocent as doves. Now, this idea of being snakes doesn't sit well with many of us, especially if you're afraid of snakes or don't like snakes and don't want to be around snakes. So this image doesn't play well for you. In fact, even in the Bible, we tend to think negatively about snakes. Uh, but in this instant, in, we are remembered of a, something that happened in the Old Testament. There was a time where people needed healing. And what happened in the desert is Moses, uh, the one, the leader of the people of Israel, held up a bronze snake in the desert. And when they looked at the snake, they were healed. So that image is of a snake that brings healing. In fact, if you look at the medical insignia on our paramedics or our nurses or our physicians, our medical community, look at that insignia, it's a, it's a snake around a staff, right? That actually goes all the way back to that image of Moses in the desert. And I, I, let's take a pause actually here and just say thank you to our medical workers who worked so hard through this COVID season who are now getting the vaccines and, and, and putting themselves out there and wanting to continue to serve us. So we thank our medical community for all that they're doing and have done and are still doing for us. But those, that symbol of the medical symbol is a symbol of healing. So what if we look at this, be wise as snakes, there's this idea that fearless wisdom, right? And that's what we're talking about. Fearless discipleship brings about healing, right? And when we're not long, longing or looking at the approval of the critics or the approval of the crowd and really being wise leaders, wise disciples, and bringing wisdom to the world, to the lives around our lives and the lives around us, we're going to bring healing, right? Wisdom brings healing. And so God wants us to be wise. The other thing about it is also God wants us to be innocent, right? That goes back to vulnerability and being honest, right? And being innocent and being truthful about who we are. And so there's this also fearless innocence that is as a dove. Now the dove, if the snake is a symbol of healing, the dove is a symbol of peace, right? And so our innocence should bring about peace. Our truthfulness should bring us to peace. And so that's this idea, this fearless wisdom that brings healing and this fearless innocence that brings peace. That is the, those are the signs of also of a healthy soul. A healthy soul that is intact, that is fully known and fully loved by God, is able to be wise and to be innocent. And that is the way to live, right? 
and to be fearless in it, to be a fearless discipleship flows from this health of the soul. So in the coming weeks, we're going to look at this more. We're going to look at how do we become replenished. Today, we've looked more at what are the threats and what are the things maybe we're giving into, temptations we're giving into that are threatening our soul. Next couple of weeks, we'll look at how do we replenish our souls and how do we go to the source of replenishment in our lives. But for now, I thought we'd just stop here and look at our reflection questions this week. Not discussion questions, really they're called reflection questions, even though they say discussion questions. But here are the reflection questions this week for us to examine our own souls and maybe discuss them with others as well. So number one, on a scale from one to ten, with ten being great, how would you rate the health of your soul right now? Number two, Are there ways you're engaging in ambition, image management, approval, addiction, and or isolation, and how is this affecting your soul? Number three, what is the source of your soul's value, worth, and care? And number four, what do you see as the signs of a healthy soul, a soul at rest in God? Because I think a soul at rest in God is a healthy soul. You know, uh, in the 8th century, they began to put uh, on tombstones when people died, they would put R-I-P, which was Latin, which also translates the same in English, rest in peace, R-I-P. We don't really see that on tombstones anymore. We see that, you know, on Halloween decorations these days, you'll see R-I-P. But those letters stand for this idea of rest in peace. And I think there's a way that we think about this as well, that somehow we think, well, we'll take care of our souls when we die. You know, God will take care of our souls when we die, and then we're just going to live this life to the on full tilt, get pedal to the metal, and we're just going to do everything we can, and we're going to just really neglect our souls, knowing and thinking that somehow that future rest is somewhere in our death, right? And so that's not a biblical idea. Our souls don't find rest when we die. In fact, the biblical witness, and throughout the Bible, it says that you and I can actually find rest today, now, Every time it talks about resting and souls resting in God, it's always in the present. It's in the now. It's not some future reality. It's that we find rest and the soul finds rest in God's presence today. And so that's our hope for you, for all of us, for our souls, that we would find rest for our souls, not in our death, but now, today. Let's pray together.